This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Sam Talon has been everywhere, man. But the comedian always manages to find his way home to Colorado. I've known Sam since he was deep in the Denver DIY comedy trenches more than a decade ago. And this week, he headlines a sold-out show at Comedy Works. I caught up with the comedian, writer, and musician to talk about what makes the stand-up scene here so dang special. Today is Wednesday, April 12th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Sam Talent, welcome to CityCast Denver. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here, Bree. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've known you forever and I haven't talked to you forever and this is cool. This is really cool. We've crossed paths so many times over the years in various creative endeavors, so I'm really stoked that we get to just hang out and talk. I'm talking to you today not because we used to play music, but because you're coming through Denver, you're coming through your, your home to... Uh, do a sold out show at Comedy Works. And it just had me thinking, Sam, is there a place in Denver where you distinctly remember bombing a set for the first time? Oh, old Curtis Street. Oh. There was like some event, I think um Guns and Rosa Parks and Knife Fight were playing, which I think were like the Stone Twins. Like they were in one of those bands oh, yeah, yeah. from Dirty Few. Yeah. And they had like me do stand up in between. And it was like, you know, they were all like scooter boys and like moped dudes. You know, they were like big bicycle people. And uh, I remember making fun of their bicycles. And then they turned on me. And I remember like being outside, being wasted at Old Curtis Street and having two bottles of mustard. And I remember just like bombing so hard. And then this was this is not nice. And I'm sure I'm outing myself to some old heads now. But if your bike got squirted with mustard in front of Old Curtis Street and like 2011, it was me. And it was because I bombed so aggressively hard on stage for all the coolest kids in Denver. I mean, this was this was this was a time when it was very important to me to like be perceived as cool or at least cool adjacent. And I bombed and I squirted everyone's bikes with the most stainable condiment there is. Well, but I do. To be fair, I remember I booked some things like this, too, where you have bands and comedians and you if you do band comedian band, it like kills the mood. It just does not work. And then like a cool, or I remember I did Rhino one time with yes. uh, with Picture Plane and I would just bomb so hard. And when you're bombing in a concrete room, you can hear how much people are not laughing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like it's deafening silence. It's either Glob or Rhino. And I was just like, what is, I was like punch drunk. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I know. I think I remember that show because I feel like even if you did bomb at Rhinoceropolis, you did some great crowd work because I remember you made fun of some dude who was standing on the wall, not not laughing. I mean, it was like, you, you know, when you can't make arty, you can't make those art school kids laugh. 
they they let you know <laughs> oh yeah and it was like existential there was like eight girls in the crowd who i had crushes on you know like it was just like ooh, ooh, it was tough stuff <laughs> i do not miss those days i mean i miss everything else but those shows i feel you i feel you so I guess on the other side of it, do you have a, a really fond memory of a place in Denver where you first really crushed a set where you just killed it? Yeah, I mean, comedy works. I remember uh, just the first couple times when I got like five minute sets there and just absolutely wailing because there was like this terrible, like, you know, poisonous masculinity with uh, being a stand up comedian in Denver because the Squire Lounge, you know, like yeah. that was where we all went to prove ourselves and Bomb Hour hosted there. So if you could win the bar tab at the Squire, you were like a maid, you know, that was like you were getting knighted. And we would take that like, you know, like chip on my shoulder, shut the fuck up and listen to me like ethos uh -huh. in the comedy works on like Tuesdays for new talent night. And there'd be like, you know, a 55 year old like lawyer who was doing his first two minute set and he brought like 40 people from the firm to see him and then like you know like me nathan lund like troy walker just battle hardened veterans going in there just ripping these people in half yeah so comedy works was where i first killed and i'll never forget how important that was well, that's an important place, too, I think, uh, for for all comedians. We know this. It is a legendary club around the country. But I wonder how you feel about it as somebody who came up in the scene here and got to do those those killer sets on almost any night of the week at Comedy Works. I'm incredibly grateful to be, uh, a, I don't want to say artist, but I will, to be a Denver artist. I was so grateful that we had um, all those great DIY spaces back in the day. I was so grateful that I was a Comedy Works comic and also like, you know, a Squire Lounge comic. That was arguably more important to me back then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I really just, I have nothing but uh, just wide-eyed sentimentality when I think of Comedy Works. <laughs> and uh, Wendy... You know, she's looked out for me more than, I mean, Wendy, Ben Kronberg, these are the people who looked out for me when it comes to like the industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, Wendy letting me fly the flag as a Denver comic and now going nationwide and being a Denver comedian is like, it feels really good. I just, and I want to clarify for folks who maybe don't know, Wendy Curtis is the person behind Comedy Works. She's, mm -hmm. she's and really super important on the nationwide comedy stage. Like, you know, like when I, I'm doing Joe Rogan's club uh, next week, I have two shows there. And Wendy was the first person to reach out and be like, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. So she's still watching what you're doing. That's amazing. Well, yeah, she's also watching because I sold out my show at Comedy Works like three weeks ahead of time. Congratulations. So, you know. <laughs> well, thank you. But I was definitely up her ass. I was like, hey, Wendy, can I get a weekend now? I mean, come on. <laughs> We're moving tickets. I didn't even use any promo codes, Bree. Like that's that's how that's how quickly they moved. So, yeah, she's uh, and also like it's weird, though, because I think she remembers me as like the stoned 20 year old <laughs> who was just huge and wearing like. Do you remember when I went through my like my like my coveralls? Your overall space, yes. <laughs> I was just yeah. thinking that. I was like, that's how I picture you in that moment. You were describing yeah, in the dude. stairwell at that at that show as Sam in overalls. Uh -huh. Overalls, yeah. Bulwark brand coveralls gave me like eight pairs, and I wore them for like four years, just nonstop until the crotch wore out. I'd have to like cut vents vents in the in the armpits and stuff so like I could breathe. I just reeked. It's amazing that any woman allowed me to be nude in front of them at all. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then you, yeah. and then you married the Go most ahead. amazing woman of all. Emily is is beautiful. She's a doctor. 
you, yeah. you, you did something right. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, I do know I'm a, I'm a good person and you I'm, you know, person. trustworthy and loyal. So like, I get why we're together, but when we met, she was not a doctor, you know, True. <laughs> she was, uh, she was 20. I was 23. We were at mouth house. Uh, wow. you know, no one had any aspirations for ever even being allowed in a hospital at that point, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's yeah, amazing though that you, you met at your DIY spot, which was also your home for a long, you know, for a long time with yeah. your sister yep. and a lot of different folks lived there. And we played many shows there and yeah, you wouldn't even recognize it today if you drove by it in five points. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was, uh, I was opening, um, at the Paramount all weekend and I was, I was driving the other comics on the show and I drove them all around Denver. I took them around my version of Denver, which is Colorado Boulevard, uh, to Alameda to, uh, I 25 <laughs> or no to federal to, uh, like Bruce Randolph. Like that's like my idea of the confines of Denver. Yeah. And I drove them by mouth house and I was like, we used to have like an alligator in the bathtub here. There were like 300 people there when the cops finally did their big sting operation there oh. and they shut it down. We, uh, I remember in, in disclosure for the court documents, it was revealed that they were all wearing the same social distortion shirt. Yeah. <laughs> That's how people knew that they were narcs because they were like, there were all yeah. these dudes in social D t-shirts at the yeah. at the show. And we were like, who are these guys? And then they turned out to be undercover cops, which is the bummer part of the story. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. You know, we had been talking about this time, you know, in the early 2010s. You're doing comedy all over Denver. I'm thinking about that versus the Denver that we know now. What do you think about the Denver comedy scene right now? 
Bro, I mean, I love the Denver comedy scene right now. I think that my issue, I, so I've always said to people when they ask me about Denver, the Denver that I love doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, but tell me if I'm wrong, you and I were both guilty of this, all right? Standing around uh, <laughs> on Brighton Boulevard back in the day, smoking cigarettes, being like, oh, Denver doesn't get any love. We don't get any shine. No one, no one said, no, no one respects us. You know, they just fly over because we're not Chicago. <laughs> And everything that we wanted out of Denver came true. Now everyone loves us. We have this like nationally lauded comedy and music scene. And I mean, Denver comedy is as good as it gets anywhere. Uh, there's two new clubs now. There's the Comedy Underground run by Ben Bryant up in that weird church on like race and 14th. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's in the Althea center yeah. of like spiritual enlightenment or something. It's a gorgeous church, but right. I have seen a lot of my friends are playing or doing really awesome shows at this spot. And so, so this is kind of like one of those new, not new. I don't want to say it's new. It's been around for a while, but this is one of those. It's, spots. Really new. it's like the, the unlikely spot where you're going to find really great comedians. Oh yeah. And it's all Ben Bryant. Ben Bryant's incredibly funny. And he's also like uh type a driven to the point where he just totally bootstrapped this comedy club out of nowhere in a place that I've walked by, I don't know, a thousand times in my life yeah. and been like, oh, what is that? Like a Christian science reading room? All right, move on. <laughs> so yeah, Ben totally made that thing happen and it sold out every weekend. Yes. It rules. He's doing shows upstairs now. So these are also, these sound like kind of like, not step ups, but they're definitely like maybe a more friendly, welcoming environment for newer comedians because I, I anytime anyone ever describes the Squire as mm -hmm. this place where you really like broke in your material and learned how to be a comedian. It also sounds like, like total hell. <laughs> like it was, it for sure was. <laughs> uh, and this was the old Squire Bree. So it was like the one where right. there was pool tables and like actual hustlers and pimps and like drug dealers were there. Yeah. You know, like it's been Colfax still looks like pretty gnarly when you look at it outside, but like a lot of those establishments have glowed up severely yeah <laughs> so yeah like that old squire was like you know you riff with the wrong guy i've seen people have knives pulled guns pulled i've seen like you know just brutal acts of violence in there yeah i've also seen like you know i've fallen in love there i've uh you know i've had uh trysts in the squire you know it's uh it was it it was not healthy but this was also like you know in like 2009 it was a bunch of people with black lipstick and dudes who uh, loved, you know, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. <laughs> and if you can make them laugh, it was a lot like those shows at Rhino where it's like, if you can get these people to laugh, you're you're doing something. And of course, it kind of warped your, uh, your aesthetic for comedy where it was a lot more like in your face. But <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh, well, I think you would have opportunities to open for big comics where if you were in a city like New York, it might be a lot harder to get that opening slot versus Denver. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just like a saturation point in New York and LA. I mean, obviously I do still think that the best comedians pound for pound come out of New York city. Cause you have to be a certain kind of psycho to survive uh, in that just pressure cooker. You're walking into a buzzsaw if you move to New York and uh, you know, a lot of coals turn into diamonds there, but also a lot more coals just burnt to ash. And also like we had all those DIY shows. Yeah. So like, I remember I got to open for Kinane. I got to open for Sean Patton. I got to open for Maria Bamford, all just at the orange cat. And that was a huge deal to me. And you know, you got anointed at the Squire and then you finally got on those Grolix, those Comico shows. And then you kind of, then eventually you got on our Wednesday night show that me and Bobby and Chris and Lund ran. And 
it was just like there was a lot of access to I remember Chappelle did our show above Studio City. I was just City. gonna say when you guys were doing Fine Gentlemen's Club, I remember Dave Chappelle came through and did the Deer Pile with you guys. Yeah. So the Deer Pile was that venue above Studio City that was just a literal room. It was just a right. room, and you got yeah. Dave Chappelle to perform at your room. <laughs> yeah, because we were running shows at uh, oh hell. Rockaway. Do you remember the Rockaway? I do. It's one place where I didn't get paid and I almost fought somebody because they didn't. Yeah, they said was, they were going to pay us for a show. There were just needles in the toilets that all was, the time there. That was it a was rough an open spot. air drug den. It was hor- It was 27th and or 23rd and Stout back when that wasn't, you know, built up by high rises. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we run our show there. And then um, Abby Jordan was a comic and she found that spot above Studio City and it was just full of chairs. Yeah. I remember and we that. went and cleared, we cleared it out and we started running our weekly there. Yeah. And then we had, you know, we had Chappelle, we had Rory Scoville, we had, we had every big comic who came through would secretly come and do our show before they headline comedy works or the improv, or they were in town for, um, you know, the garlic shows. Like we really lucked out over there. Yeah. But I think part of the appeal probably had to be too. They got to play a small room again. They got to do the DIY. You know what I mean? Like there's some, a, yeah. a level of appeal that once you reach a point, you can't go. It's really hard to go back. Yeah, for sure. And we were also lucky because like all the big comics in town, like, you know, Josh Blue is the reason the Chappelle came over. Yeah. I remember Josh, Josh called me and he's like, hey, can uh, can Chappelle do your show tonight? And I was like, all right, Josh, what the fuck do you want? What's going on? What are you bothering me about right now? And he's like, no, I'm serious. Can Chappelle do your show? Uh Word got out within like an hour and a half that Chappelle was coming. And there were people literally hanging out of the windows at Deer Pile that night just so they could be in that room. I mean, that room maybe fit 60. I think that night we had 150 oh, people in there. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about just the energy and the nature of being able to do that at a one moment in time here, you know? And that was before Chappelle had his like, you know, yeah, six bodyguards with him at all oh, the time. You way know? different. Yeah. Not, I mean, yeah. it was like Chappelle show famous, but he wasn't like at the level that he's at now. This has been so fun, Sam. Um, your show is sold out, which is incredible. Congratulations. But if folks... Are we done? Is yeah, that it? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. God. I know we have a short That's show. Okay. <laughs> I'm so proud to know you. I'm just so proud of everything that you do. And I'm I'm just so proud that you're from here and that you really care about the, uh, the other Bri, artists thank here. You. Yeah. Oh, uh, I really appreciate that, dude. Thank yeah. you for having me on. I love talking about Denver and, uh, <sighs> and just talking to you. I love talking about Denver and I love talking to you too, Sam. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bree. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The pandemic. In 2020, as the world first grappled with COVID-19, the shelter system proved to be unsafe for keeping people healthy. In response, the city of Denver contracted with area hotels to serve as, quote, protective action hotels for unhoused people with health issues. Denverite reports that the city's housing contract with The Loft, a downtown lodging provider, ends on April 27th as federal funding runs out, leaving current residents concerned they will have nowhere to go. The Department of Housing Stability says they have found housing for dozens of soon-to-be-displaced Denverites and is working on options for others still staying at a loft. Homeless advocacy group House Keys Action Network says that many of the residents are concerned about stability and care for ongoing health issues and fear they may end up back in shelters or on the streets. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Dave Chappelle about us? 
rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. There's this Usher song, My Way, that I love. And there's a part where he says, your girlfriend's paging me. And then it's like, boop, boop, boop in the song. It's perfection. It's perfection for me. It's great. I know. I, I actually wore my pager on the front of my overalls usually at school. Show it, show it off. Be like, yeah, I got a pager. What's up?